Hi, this is Ikim. Hi, this is Katrina. Welcome to High Impact Coffee Hour, where you can listen to two psychology nerds chat with academics about philosophy, feminism, and science. Okay, so to begin, hi everyone. It's really nice to be back. Um, this is super exciting because we uh, have a very special guest today, someone that I work closely with as part of the Amina Sai organization. Um, and it's super exciting to be hearing about her research. So Ikim and I would like to introduce you to Andrea. Hi everyone, uh, I'm Andrea Haidar and I'm a third year PhD student at Northwestern um, in their clinical psychology program at the Feinberg School of Medicine. That's great, thanks for introducing yeah. yourself. So to begin, just how are you doing on this Sunday morning? <sighs> I'm doing well. Um, I'm a little tired today, but overall just feeling really happy about the sun here in Chicago. It's a really beautiful fall day. Um, I think I'll go to the lake after this and just like enjoy. Nice. <laughs> yeah, enjoy like the fall and the water. So, yeah, how are you all doing? Good Sunday activity. Yes. <laughs> Sounds very relaxing. That's going to be super nice and good self-care for to prepare you for the week to come. So that's yeah. great. <laughs> yes. you can, do you have any fun Sunday plans, Ikim? Uh, well, actually my Sunday is almost over because I'm based in the UK. So it's about 6, 10 p.m. right now. Okay. Um, I'm going to make potato leek soup later. Ooh, that so sounds that pretty good. activity of the night. That's a great one. raining here all day. Very British, wet <laughs> and damp. And slightly cold, but mild. <laughs> a very mild Perfect. country with mild personalities. <laughs> Perfect awesome. fall. Yeah, that's the perfect fall activity. Great, mm -hmm. <laughs> great to have that for the night. Um, well, then I guess just to begin and jump into it. Um, wait, wait, wait! What are you doing this? Oh, Sunday? oh, wow! Okay, the Sunday I <laughs> will try. Aside from the midterm. Yes, uh, it is mid midterm season and trying to get through all of those assignments um, and to do something fun. I think I'll also try to cook something for the week and meal prep and watch something in the background while I'm cooking. So nice. I'm going to try to do that. Yeah. <laughs> very very grad school activity. Yes. A very grad, grad student way of spending a Sunday meal prepping plus exam. It's a great way to end the week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, so what does your week typically look like, Andrea? Hmm. So right now I'm in my third year and my week looks like, so I'm in clinic three days a week. Um, oh, wow. Depending on the day, I might be in clinic. Um, I'm currently doing practicum at a private practice focused on depression and anxiety um, and related disorders. Um, so I might be seeing clients, uh, mm -hmm. providing psychotherapy, and then, uh, you know, two days a week, I'm a research assistant in a lab. So the lab I'm in is called Embody Lab at Northwestern um, with research mentor, Dr. Ingo Burdett-Sigler. Um, and the lab generally focuses on increasing access to mental health care for minoritized and disadvantaged populations. Um, so one of the biggest projects right now is a randomized control trial of a mindfulness-based intervention um, within federally qualified health centers. So 
you know, during the week, I might be calling participants to uh, collect data on how uh, their involvement in the study is going or what are their um, current levels of symptoms going, looking like. Uh, so I might be in lab meetings or you know, doing these data collection calls or helping to prepare manuscripts and things like that. And then I'm not in class too much these days. I think I only have a couple classes left. Uh, and just depending on what my school's able to offer them, I'll, I'll be taking those. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it's it's kind of a mix of like uh, clinic and then lab work and then also um, working on my master's thesis. So, you know, in between that, uh, preparing my own manuscript uh, and related posters and stuff. So like on a on a day to day, I, I think it just depends on which day of the week it is. If it's like a clinic day or more of a research day for me. Wow, that's a that's a really full plate, I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of um, different things that I, I guess for a PhD also have to like tie together. Sort of. Yeah. 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 Um, would you mind maybe walking us through what your program is like, what the setup is like? Um, like, for example, you mentioned you only have a couple classes left. So how, how would that work? Do you have to take classes for the first one or two years or can you spread them out throughout the entire program? And, and also how long is your program? Yeah, so my program is a PhD in clinical psychology and uh, it takes students usually five to six years. Uh, the first year is quite heavy on coursework. Uh, we're in like four to five classes a quarter, and we're also in our research assistantships in the lab. Uh, and we're not in clinic practicum yet. Then second year, your course load comes down a bit. You're more in like two classes a quarter, which is still, you know, a full, a full plate for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Plus you add clinic uh, and you still have your lab responsibilities. Uh, by third year, you finished most of your classes. Um, however, there might be, you know, a few courses here or there that you still need to take. So third year, you're um, more focused on your research. So you've either finished your master's uh, dissertation second year, your master's thesis second year, or you're still working on it in third year. Fourth year is another practicum plus uh, lab year maybe a class year or two. Um, if you're doing it in five years, you apply for internship that year. If you're doing it in six years, you'll take another year to do some mix of, um, you know, working on your dissertation, perhaps mm -hmm. doing another practicum, more work in your lab. It just depends on what you decide to do with that fifth year. And then also mm -hmm. apply to internship and then go on internship your sixth year. And then internship is, you know, I'm sure a lot of you on this podcast will know it's that sort of full-time internship that you apply for um, at different sites here in the US around the country. Um, and it's like a matching process and you can do it out of state. So yeah, and then and then graduate hopefully after that. <laughs> then you're so free. Graduate after yeah. the internship, not before the internship. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Mm -hmm. But the internship is kind of like a postdoc. It's more of like a clinical practicum, so it's like full-on just clinical experience, and a lot of people sometimes do their dissertation during that year, Right. but uh, mm -hmm. it's a lot to have to handle, and then only after that can you get your degree and be called like doctor, <laughs> so it's kind of a long process, yeah. Yes, 
that the same kind of program set up for you as well, Kat? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the APA way uh, throughout the uh, all the programs. I think for clinical psych, and I think community psych is similar, and community and a counseling psych SIDES also require that internship process, and then you can become mm-hmm. a doctor. Um, and just your research sounds so interesting and fascinating, and I love that the whole lab is focused on really trying to make sure that these services are provided to underrepresented. Um, populations. Um, was that always something that you were interested in going into when you began looking at clinical psych programs? Definitely. Um, so I have kind of a circuitous, non-linear journey into psych. Um, before joining the PhD program in clinical psychology at Northwestern, I was actually practicing as a licensed clinical social worker at a federally qualified health center here on the southwest side of Chicago um, called the Inner City Muslim Action Network. Um, I'll mention I'm Lebanese and Venezuelan American and I identify as a Muslim woman. And working there was so cool because um, it was a very diverse client population or patient population. I worked with Black, Latinx, uh, and Arab American clients predominantly. Um, And I would say like given my social work background, you know, even before (laughs) doing social work, I was drawn to the field of social work because of, um, you know, wanting to, wanting to increase access to resources um, and like, you know, improve equity across racial and ethnic minority groups and immigrant refugee population. So that's been a longstanding interest of mine. Um, so yeah, I would say like, that was a very important part of when, uh, when I applied to clinical psychology programs, um, wanting to work in a lab that had a sort of social justice orientation where um, health equity was really at the center of the work. Wow, that's so, so yeah, great. Cool. Yeah, especially because you had all that background in the in the past to really be able to then do evidence based uh, research that you're doing now in yeah. a very similar kind of field. So that's like the perfect match. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah, I got yeah. I feel really blessed um, to have kind of found the lab that I'm working in now. Um, it was just like such a good match when I was applying. I was like, ah, I. Um, I work in a federally qualified health center. I work with racial ethnic minority communities. Um, you know, our lab does a lot of work around mindfulness-based interventions. And I also have a background. Um, I have my certified like yoga teacher training done. Um, so I'm, I'm really uh, myself like a practitioner of mindfulness practices. Uh, so it was a very good fit. Um, and I'm thankful that there was a spot in the lab available the year that I was really kind of earnestly looking into programs. So what motivated you to leave social work and go into a clinical psychology PhD program? Yeah, interesting. I think, um, I think there are many paths to having a career in sort of like the mental health space. Um, when I applied to PhD programs, I was initially actually looking at social work programs and thinking that I would maintain, like my overarching goal was um, for even applying to a PhD program was, you know, I was, I was at this 
Health Center, um, working as a behavioral health specialist in community health, and I loved the clinical work. And, you know, I had prior experience in research and I was kind of missing that. And also mm-hmm. seeing, you know, how, how much of a need there is for representation of my community, you know, like the Arab Mina American population um, and other sort of minoritized populations um, and wanting to be a part of those conversations. So I was thinking more about like over the long term, I want a career where I can have a clinical practice and I can also be engaged in research projects. Um, So getting my PhD seemed like an important step toward building that career. and yeah, when I was initially looking, I thought, oh, I, you know, I could do a social work program, um, continue, you know, maintaining my clinical practice was really important to me. And social work PhDs are actually only research focused. The mm-hmm. clinical component of a social work degree is actually within the master's program. Mm-hmm. There's also DSWs, which are like doctorates of social work, um, which is a little bit more from what I understand, a practice-focused PhD, uh, not PhD, a practice-focused doctoral program, whereas the mm-hmm. PhD is very research-focused. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted that that like really strong research training, and I wanted to maintain my clinical practice. So I thought, oh, I'll just do a social work PhD and continue to work part-time as a clinician. Um, and I'll be able to merge my clinical and research career later on. And a mentor of mine, you know, encouraged me to think about clinical psychology programs. And as I was looking more into it, I saw that I would continue to maintain a clinical practice and in fact, also continue to get supervision, get, um, you know, just additional training. Um, And I would get that really strong sort of science research training. Um, So I was looking into it, then I found Embody Lab at Northwestern, and I was really excited, and I was like, okay, I have to apply. Um, so yeah, it wasn't like, um, yeah, it was kind of this uh, opening up to the possibilities in the mental health field. And I think I still stand by that today, that like clinical psychology might be the path for some people, counseling psych might be the path for others, social work might really work for someone. Um, And whenever I try to talk, whenever I, you know, people ask for my perspective on programs, I, I really encourage people to just be open to like, if this path doesn't work for you, there are so many other paths. Um, And the mental health spaces, you know, you and there's like different levels too. like being at a master's level might make a lot of sense and doctoral level might make more sense for someone else. So there are so many different paths to having a really rich and fulfilling career in mental health. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's so interesting to hear about your journey going from uh, being in social work and then thinking of doing something more in social work, but then being told about this other research program, because I think a lot of people sometimes go into the mental health field thinking that clinical psychology PhDs are the only direction that you can go into but hearing about your journey and all the different trainings and 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 experiences that you've had before even considering the clinical psych PhD really I think is eye-opening for people and will show people that there are so many different options and I didn't even know that there was the doctorate in social work or like the M 
yeah the the social dsw yeah right i was like oh wow that's very interesting too um so there really is and then there's also besides even looking at the u.s if people are not u.s based there's what ecom did and is now doing a uh, psychology phd in cambridge uh or in the uk which is a very different system too so yeah there's a lot of differences different options and absolutely and i think you know ecom you mentioned like kind of leaving social work to go into psych and on the, on the one hand it's like yes it feels like I kind of made a switch in disciplines for the additional training I'm getting and um, I think I'll always identify as a social worker and bring that mm-hmm. lens into my work um, and I think mm-hmm. you know psychology is also moving in this direction where a lot of the things that social workers think about, psychologists are also starting to think more seriously about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, like kind of like the defining feature of social work is this person and environment perspective um, mm-hmm. where even if we're doing work with an individual like direct service, whether it's case management or psychotherapy, we're considering that person in their sort of social ecology, their environment. Mm-hmm. So. What is, you know, how does their family, their community, the state that they live in, the the country they live in, like all these contextual factors, like their immigration status or their socioeconomic status or sexual orientation or all these different identities, how do they shape that person's lived experience? And how can we take these factors into account and how we approach helping this person achieve their goals or, um, you know, advocate for themselves or address these systemic barriers in their life, um, or even these um, sort of more micro barriers, like they're navigating their day-to-day experience. So um, mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of these conversations happening in psychology where we're trying to consider more that environmental perspective and bring that into how we adapt interventions. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the disciplines, there's like a lot of room for them to learn from each other and even integrate across those disciplinary lines. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for, for you to be a very good clinical psychologist, you sort of have to consider those perspectives absolutely. on social work as well. I, I, I always found it a bit strange that um, in clinical psychology, there's a bit of a gap, I think, or maybe this was a couple of years ago, maybe now things are different, but I was kind of had the impression that there are clinicians and then there are patients. The divide is quite large. Um, I mean, I even remember like we interviewed someone else who mentioned that um, like the way sometimes researchers and teach students, clinical psychology teach students talk about the people they work with, there's like sort of that sanitized language and that psychological distance, as opposed to just treating them as human beings, like, oh, you know, this is the person that we're talking about, instead of just, this is bad data, this was a bad sample. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. more of like person-centered. Yeah, exactly. And I also notice this um, language sometimes just in my own, um, not in my PhD program actually, but in a different lab where um, I'm not saying this is good or bad, but I just think it's kind of funny where, for example, the neuroscientists will say, um, okay, so when you have this sample in the scanner, I'm like, you mean a human, a participant, and you would write. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. yeah, just like the, just in the small, um, details and the kind of language that we use, I think when we describe participants, I think that also does matter, maybe just not in a very obvious way. 
Absolutely. It's really true. Um, I was even going to say that the divide between sometimes like it can be tough to even balance like research and, and classes and clinical work. Um, do you feel like in your program or like where you're at now, there's a good divide between all the things that you want to do and it's sort of how you envisioned bringing those together in a sense? Yeah. Uh, you know, I went into clinical psychology wanting to build a career where there's variety, like there's right. clinical and research work. And I think I won't lie to you, the first couple of years, it felt um, a little overwhelming. Yeah. Because on the one hand, I mm. wanted to grow in different directions. But then once I was in it, I was like, I feel like I'm being pulled in different directions. Like, <laughs> like, this is uncomfortable. This is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, and and like the context switching is hard. Like, you know, there are some days where like, you, you're in clinic, and then you come home and you have to like, work on a manuscript or, mm -hmm. you know, um, do more research related activities, um, or classwork. Uh, and it is a lot to kind of use those different parts of your brain in the same day. So there's a little, you know, there were moments where I was like, oh, I could just go back to doing clinical work all the time. Um, like it was so nice when I could just focus on one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's always that kind of grass is greener. Like you're, you know, I was mm -hmm. doing clinical work full time and missing the variety and then I'm thrown into the variety and I'm like, Oh, I miss being able to focus on one thing. So, um, I do think though that environment plays like a big role. So first couple of years of the PhD, I think across the board um, is I, you know, from, from what I've heard and from others I've talked to at other institutions, like these are the most demanding years where mm -hmm. your course workload is the highest, you're working on your master's thesis, you're getting involved in clinical work. It's a lot. Um, and then you're, you know, also working in a lab. But I will say, you know, from what I can tell 30 years so far, um, I am feeling a lot more uh, <sighs> like I am in a place where I'm really getting to hone in on the research I want to do and the mm -hmm. clinical work I want to do. Like even my first practicum was a neuropsych assessment practicum, and it was such a useful learning activity, like learning experience. I think I got really strong in diagnosis and stuff. And I don't see myself being like a neuropsych diagnostician in the future, right? So now I'm doing practicums that are more directly related to the clinical work I want to be doing day to day when I graduate. And same with um, research. I'm actually, you know, first year, I wasn't even really in a place to be thinking about my master's project. I was just trying to get through coursework and like, get some seeds of ideas going from what I might want to do for my project. But now I'm actually at a place where I'm doing my project and that feels really good. So mm -hmm. overall feeling like, yes, stretched in different directions. Um, and like, it's a, it's more manageable and feeling more purposeful this year. Um, now that mm -hmm. I'm a, a bit less overwhelmed and through some of the many requirements that come with your first couple of years in the PhD. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point about the first year just being kind of trying to get through the coursework and figuring out how the program even works and just yeah. getting some seed of ideas going because I feel like 
I mean, even when I talk to people who are finishing their PhDs or recently finished, and I ask them, you know, what was your first year like? They'll say, oh, you know, I kind of wish I did more. Like if I had known all the mistakes that I learned later on, I would have gone back and, you know, fixed all those things and just hit the ground running. And I think that mentality is like very relatable, but at the same time, in my first year, I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know the shape of my project and I didn't really know, you know, how to like set up for an experiment or all the little details and dealing with ethics. So I feel like I also, in my second year, I looked back and I was like, oh, you know, I wasted so much time in the first year doing stuff that I now could probably finish in like a week back then it would have taken me like a month. Um, but I think that's just part of the process as well. Like absolutely things start out super slow and it takes you a long time to learn how to do things for the first time. But then once you learn how to do an experiment better and then you have better ideas and you also learn more. So in your subsequent years, you get faster and faster at handling the things that in your first year would have taken you like forever to do, right? And I try to like keep that mentality when I think about because like right now I'm trying to set up for an EG experiment and some days I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Like this is going to be a disaster because I don't know. But then I think about like how much I did learn in my second year and also throughout the course of my first year. And I'm like, well, in my first year, I also did stuff that I didn't know how to do back then. And now I'm like, oh, this was a piece of cake, you know? So it's kind of like, I feel like in grad school, you learn so much in such a short amount of time. The growth Absolutely. is really exponential. I agree with that. And I think that self-compassion for like your first year self is so important. Um, we all come in with like different levels of experience and not just levels, but like different kinds of experiences that um, I think it's beautiful to have that diversity of experience. And some people are more like really ready to hit the ground running when it comes to the research piece. Um, others are still learning so many new things every day. Um, you know, I was definitely one of those people where I had never, um, I had been involved in research before, but never in a psychology lab, um, clinical psych lab. And I, that was like a, a different culture to navigate. And um, even, you know, I remember going to grand rounds or research talks and like not always knowing the terms that were being thrown around for all the different kinds of literature reviews there are um or I still um, don't know these terms <laughs> right and like and like everyone just uh talks about them like we all know what's going on so you know there was so much um just learning the landscape like you were talking about Ikim where it's like you're just trying to get your wrap your head around like this world that you've joined and you may you might have some knowledge of it with like your prior experiences to joining a doctoral program. And if you knew it all before joining, you, you wouldn't need to do a PhD, right? Like the whole point is to yeah. learn how to become um, a researcher. And it's such a long, arduous process because it's a lot to learn. So I think we need to like go easy on ourselves and not beat ourselves up so much for like not being able, you know, sometimes to hit the ground running um, right when we get into the program. 100%. Yeah. And, and I love how you said that everyone brings their own experiences and their own expertise. And some people may hit the ground running right when they get here in research, but then struggle a bit more with coursework or just the clinical side of things. Mm -hmm. um, and it's okay. And, and even if you don't come from a psychology background, I've known several people who've been able to adapt and enter into this mental health field without 
even knowing anything about that beforehand. So it's definitely possible. And I think people want to see you grow, want to see you learn and develop as a person. Um, and it's perfectly okay to take your own pace at things. And again, don't compare yourself with anyone else because that can also be very <laughs> difficult to do, um, especially with cohorts or with people that you see in other programs in other universities. Um, but just know that you're on your own journey. And as long as you're enjoying it and learning things, then that's yeah. the best that you can do. Yeah, I, I do think also like it's kind of dangerous to keep getting pulled away by what the people around you, possibly people in your cohort are actually doing with their time. Because I think um, I used to sort of like compare myself to people in my cohort, not in a competitive way, but just in the sense that like, if I go to a talk or a lecture or go to a class and don't mention some sort of stats test or I don't know, like for a while I was really obsessed with the idea of like doing meta-analysis and I had it on my New Year's resolution. But like, I don't need to know how to do a meta-analysis, right? Because I don't need it in my PhD or at least for now, I have not needed to do a meta-analysis as a part of my PhD. So like, I feel like when I started out, my goal was kind of to learn as much as possible regardless of whether it's actually useful to me. Whereas now I'm like, if it's not going to my dissertation, then it's a hobby. <laughs> it's yeah. not work, it's a hobby. Yeah, we only have so much time and energy to give. And um, I think it's important that to prioritize, you know, it's not, and it sounds like you've kind of come into that, like, hey, I need to prioritize what's important for my yeah, work absolutely. in this moment. Yeah, and I was also like talking to some postdocs in my lab about um, just like what's the best piece of advice they could give to PhD students, and they said just be absolutely brutal with your time. Like you have to be actually extremely cautious of where you're investing your time. I think there's this tough balance between using your PhD and like your training gears as an opportunity to try lots of new things and see what mm -hmm. speaks to you, even though, of course, we come in with like a vision and goals for the career we want there. We just get exposed to so many things we didn't even knew existed before we joined, you know, our training programs. Um, so I think it's such a beautiful time to try different things, see it like um, even try something that you're not sure you're certain of like how much you're going to enjoy it. Like for example, um, I, I didn't really get to choose, but doing that neuropsych practicum really uh, enriched my worldview in a way that um, I wouldn't have expected. Um, and I don't see myself doing it long-term. Um, and for my next practicum, I wanna try something, you know, right now I'm doing like psychotherapy um, for depression and anxiety at a private practice. Next year, I might wanna do something a little bit different, like bringing in more of this like health psych perspective, like integrated primary care or something. Um, so I'm like, try new things, you know, you don't know what's out there. You don't know what's gonna speak to you. This is an opportunity, like this is a time when we have so much opportunity to explore. And that other piece that's like, you need to prioritize what matters to you. You cannot do it all. Um, stretching yourself thin is, not great for your, uh, you know, sustainability and your, you know, self-care. Um, and like being really intentional about your time is important. Uh, so I think that's always a balance I'm trying to strike is like trying, you know, trying new things. And then also um, 
being really like purposeful about what I'm doing and whether it contributes to my long-term goals or not. Absolutely. Very well said. I was even thinking now about balance and how you mentioned that sometimes you get back home from like a long clinical day and then you still have to do work maybe for a class or for research. Um, Are there specific ways that you really find that balance or find like that energy to do both things on a day or or are are there some days where one thing is just way too overwhelming so you just have to take it off for the rest of the day so that you can just recharge for the next yeah yeah I think I've learned too, like just not to be a perfectionist about all these things like you you try different things and it might not work out like maybe you say yes to something and then afterward you're like "Mm, I overcommitted myself and it's iterative. Like you learn like, okay, maybe I don't say yes to as many things in the future. And I'm not going to sit here, beat myself up for the fact that I did say yes in this moment, or, oh, I tried this new um, clinical experience and I'm not liking it as much as I thought, but that's like something new I've learned rather than beating yourself up that you didn't like optimize your clinical experiences for things that you were super passionate about and super in line with your long-term goals. Yeah. Yeah. Just like constant flexibility and ability to adapt to whatever new thing comes up or whatever new thing you learn about yourself too. Yeah. 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 It's definitely like a lot of cognitive effort though, having to like keep thinking about like, oh, does this align with my long-term goal when you're kind of being pulled away by, I don't know, just like different expectations, whether it's from, I don't know, branding the cohort or your supervisor or maybe a collaborator or whatever it is. But I feel like in a PhD program, there are so many demands that we constantly have to like piece apart. Is this demand, you know, driven by my intrinsic motivation as opposed to like what someone else is trying to get me to do for their benefit? And I I, I know it sounds kind of utilitarian, I guess, to think of it this way, but I feel like lately I've been trying to think more about like, you know, why am I doing this? Does this actually contribute to anything? Whereas before it was just like sure bring it on I can do everything yeah such a such a tricky balance yeah absolutely um yeah well you mentioned about the practical and I wanted to ask do you get to choose in a set of different like streams or or how do they typically work or do you get to decide like exactly what you want to do where you want to do it whenever you want to do it Mm. So I am in like, we have different concentrations in our program. So I'm in sort of the adult clinical concentration, um, Mm -hmm. which means my practicum experiences are going to be focused on treating adults um, with sort of like different psychopathology concerns. In my program, you know, the first prac, because I'm at Northwestern, we're embedded within an academic health system. So the first year for folks in adult clinical is kind of set, like we're we're in this sort of neuropsych assessment um, practicum, which is really great because you you also need assessment hours um, to, you know, go on internship and eventually get your license and stuff. So it's something you, it's experience you need to get regardless of whether you see yourself, you know, doing more psychotherapy interventions than assessment. Um, and then for us, the second and third practicums you do, um, you might apply externally uh, to different opportunities in the city. Um, so I applied to this practice um, because I wanted to get more experience in uh, really using like 
mindfulness-based third wave approaches like dialectical behavioral therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy to treat adults with depression and anxiety. Um, and that's really what this practice, like there's a lot of training opportunity there. Um, so that's kind of what drew me there. Um, and yeah, for my next practicum, I'll also be applying externally. Um, but it just depends on what track you're on. You know, if some, someone who's on like the child uh, track will have different practicum experiences and someone who's in behavioral medicine um, or behavioral health will have also different experiences. Um, there's some room for like overlap. Um, like I might try something that brings in a little bit more of that health psychology lens um, from like that integrated primary care perspective. Um, but generally folks who are in behavioral medicine are gonna be doing really like health psych focused things. Um, so yeah, generally you, you, pit, you select practicum experiences based on your clinical track. Is that similar for you as well? Yes, uh, that is that is very similar. I think we also have uh, typically your second year you do assessments, pracs or pre-pracs because our real like prac hours start our third year um, where we'll have the course and like more of the supervision aspect and we apply externally as well to different uh, options. I think some people in the adult section still do some child assessments just to get some experience with like young adults or young adolescents which is interesting now that I think about it. I'm not sure if that's always the case or not, but I like the idea that you have the tracks and that you know what population you want to work with and then you just can gain more um, experience in that sense. Yeah, so very cool. Um, and does it change every semester for you or is it every year that- It's every year. Every year, okay, mm -hmm. okay. And you mentioned you're also in the um, on a quarter system. Yes, we have quarters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Does that make it a bit more challenging to do the classes or is <laughs> it very it, challenging? Yeah. I feel like, like four like, times a year, you have to switch uh, gears. Having <laughs> it's like all I've known for the past um, 10 plus years of my life. I went to University of Chicago for undergrad and they're also on the quarter system. Oh, gotcha. So oh. I've, I've been trained in it <laughs> as like post high school. So um I also went there for my social work master's. Um, so that was also the quarter system. So it's all I've known. Um, okay, I do, yeah, it gives you, it's got a pluses and minuses like anything. Yeah. It gives you opportunity to try a lot of different things and um, and you're constantly in midterms or finals. Like it's, <laughs> it's like week one, week two, prep for midterms, <laughs> week six, week seven, prep for finals. You know, it, it moves very quick. Right, right. It's just constantly on the go. But I guess that's nice because especially for the clinical psych program, you can get through classes a lot, maybe faster than someone on a semester system. Yeah, I don't know how it all works with like yeah. what translates as a credit for that's later accreditation. Um, yeah. yeah. Not, my, <laughs> not my expertise. Above our pay grade for this uh, yes, conversation. But definitely. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, was it, I know you were also discussing like when you were applying for programs, this was really a great fit. Um, was it difficult navigating where to apply for or was it, did it seem sort of um, simple given your experience applying for master's programs? Were there similar people in the field that you kind of were gravitating towards? What was your process like for finding people? Yeah. I would say um, 
again, given like the sort of mm -hmm. uh, different, like even in undergrad, I studied sociology and then social work. It's okay. like, I, I wasn't really like, I wasn't deeply embedded in the psych world, I will say. Right. And I think after I got into the program and like talked to folks, I realized that like, folks are super intentional about this. They're often thinking about it for years, like kind of cultivating certain experiences that might help um, gain access to a psych PhD program um, or a clinic psych program. So I will say my experience was pretty different from that. I'm, I'm glad it all worked out. And yes. I think like more um, systematic approach to the process is like more likely to yield success. I think That's for me, yeah, for me, it was really important to like stay in Chicago. Um, and, you know, because I'm building a life here, my husband's here. Um, I really love like this city, I have a strong connection to it. And we have some great academic institutions. So I was really focused on like, trying to stay in this area. Um, so that narrowed down a ton of programs. And then, yeah, I, I kind of I looked at community psych, clinical psych, social work. Um, I kind of took this approach of like, there are multiple paths to get to where I want to go. Let me try these different paths. Um, and then through the interview process and through also just the natural selection that comes with like where you get admitted, that's kind of, you know, um, how I ended up at Northwestern. And yeah. I'm, I'm really blessed because it was like my first pick among mm -hmm. the programs I applied to. Yeah, the, like there were these big sort of um, requirements like location and sort of health equity focus that mm -hmm. drove those were like the two main filters for how mm -hmm. I approached I was more flexible about the discipline um and I also was in a place where I was happy with my career like where it was so I was willing to like if it didn't work out continue mm -hmm. what I was doing for a year and reconsider what I was my approach for, you know, continued education. So I was in that place where like, let me try it this sort of way. And if it doesn't work out, I'm perfectly happy to continue what I'm doing for another year as I figure out what's next. Yep. Having that adaptability and flexibility throughout every step of the way, but I'm so glad that it worked out. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really is just a great do, journey. Absolutely. Um, do you feel like grad school is like what you expected? No, that's a big yeah. question. But like, where is, is there anything about grad school that kind of like surprised you, or something that you just didn't really totally expect, whether it's good or bad? It's such a hard question because I just feel like there was so much I didn't know, and it's hard to put myself back in that perspective of like what I didn't yet understand. Um, I think for the most part, like on, on a big picture level, I'm doing the things I thought I would be doing. Like I'm doing clinical work, I'm doing research. So in that way, it is, you know, what I expected. I'd have to think more about the ways it's like, not what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good to hear. Yeah, that it's sort of the image that you had of it remains the same. Um, so yeah, so I wanted to ask if you, um, if you could tell us what is next for you on this journey and like what your next uh, milestones are just in life, what, what you're looking forward to. Yeah, so I, I started data collection on my master's project. Um, yes, yay. I'm looking at perceptions of mindfulness among Arab and Middle Eastern and North African American identifying folks. Um, and I'm really excited about that because uh, 
in recent years, there's been increased sort of attention on the experiences of people of color in mindfulness uh, spaces and programs. And there's still no studies um, that I've seen sort of like peer reviewed um, evidence, sort of based intervention studies of um, experiences of Arab and MENA folks in mindfulness spaces. So um, I'm excited to kind of explore that space um, and start those conversations. Yeah, so the next year is just gonna be like focusing on data analysis and writing up the manuscript, which I'm excited about. Uh, thinking about practicum for next year. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think once I get through this master's milestone, I'll start thinking more about my dissertation and doing that proposal. Um, but I think overall, just taking the approach of like, one step at a time, one milestone at a time. If, you know, when I try to no think about it all at once, it gets a little overwhelming. Yes. <laughs> that one balance step between your long-term goals yeah. and like taking things one day at a time. Exactly. Just breaking Absolutely. up goals into bitty sized things that you can tackle and not have to have it be this huge, overwhelming task that you have to do. So that's a good approach for sure. I, I think it's very cool that we're able to get speakers who have different paths to academia. Like we've interviewed people um, who like had a lot of work experience before and also people who basically straight went from undergrad to PhD, like sort of Pat and I did. Um, so it's very interesting to hear about like your perspectives and how your journey works. And, and I feel like comparing out my journey to yours, you definitely had a lot more experience and it sounded like you had a good head on your shoulders when you were applying. Whereas for us coming straight from undergrad, we were just kind of like, is this going to be undergrad 2.0? Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah definitely it's, like, it's all it's all different it's all different experiences like a hundred percent I think yes maybe my path helped um in some ways and you know I, I maybe coming in with more confidence about clinical work or like I've had some time to sort out what I really like or don't like but I also have found that my peers who are coming right from undergrad or um more of like uh post back at a lab mm -hmm. and then into the program, like they're bringing expertise and experiences that are also really valuable. Um, I think we all help each other out. That's another thing is mm -hmm. like, I would, you know, talking to younger me, like, I guess one thing I would say is like, and something I've gotten to do is like really develop relationships with peers, um, mm -hmm. support each other, like we all have different strengths. We all have different things that are harder for us and approach sort of relationships from that place of like, we can all help each other. We can collaborate. We can give each other perspective in the things that we know less about because it's impossible to know about everything. Um, and yeah, and it, it can also like decrease that sense of isolation when you hit challenges because it can just feel like everyone has it so together and you're the one who's struggling. and when you actually like develop relationships, you realize that a lot of people are encountering different challenges and um, you're not the only one who faces obstacles. Um, so yeah, and I think mentor mentorship's really important, like cultivating relationships with your research mentor um, and mentors in all sorts of um, different, aspects of your clinical psych experience, you know, like clinical mentors, supervisors, um, mm -hmm. research mentors, people you really identify with and like your classes, professors, like 
getting that sort of um, support from people with very different experiences can also help clarify what you want, what's important to you and how to get there. Beautifully said. Yeah. yeah. I think having collaborative mindset and, and just putting your yourself in as an available person for others, may they be like younger people who you can mentor or older people who you can help them out because they've probably helped you out is such a nice mindset to have because you're all just you're all just struggling in some way or another. So it's great to cultivate those relationships with people. It's always nice to just have like a open, positive mindset where you want to help others. So that's a great, great way to end it off. Um, thank you again so much for joining us today. This has been such a pleasure talking to you. And I feel like people listening are going to have so much new information and helpful information regarding the program and what to look out for um, and how to just really make sure the self-care is put into their daily life too to balance everything out yeah yeah, yeah. Awesome. thank, thank you, so you all much. so much for thank having you. me I really enjoyed our conversation before you go also where can people find you on social media do you use social media a lot is there anything yeah we'll link your handle yeah. in the description yeah. <laughs> I'm not super active but I am on Twitter so it's Andrea Heider with an underscore um so you know I'll if you if you want some occasional tweets, that's where you can find me. Excellent. <laughs> and yeah, if you ever want to talk, just shoot me a message there, and we'll 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 chat. Perfect. Well, thank you again, and great great talking to you.